The following audio is from North Pine Baptist Church. We trust that this recording will help you learn more about God and His message for the world. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au. Well, folks, we're going to continue on in our service this morning uh, as we uh, turn to the, the letter of Ephesians. And we're going to uh, be looking at the second half of Ephesians chapter 1 today. Uh, you might uh, like to turn with me in your Bibles if you've got them there with you at, uh, at home. Otherwise, you can follow along on the screen as we read this passage together. So allow me to, uh, to read to us Ephesians 1, verses 15 through to 23. The Apostle Paul, writing under the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit, says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places." far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is God's word to us today. Amen. Well, as we continue on in this uh, series in Ephesians, we're into uh, our second week, and the, uh, the, the, the series is entitled Life in Christ. And I uh, pray that uh, this particular series in Ephesians will be a great blessing to, to all who uh, uh, join us through this live stream week after week, or who watch it you know, on the, uh, the YouTube channel uh, or other, uh, other means uh, throughout the week as well, perhaps even listening on the podcast off the website. You know, prayer would have to be, I think, one of the most challenging areas of the Christian life, wouldn't it? You know, I'd I'd suspect that at least at one time or another, almost every Christian has wrestled with or struggled with prayer. You know, whether that be in in, in setting uh, the time aside to pray or even in knowing what to pray. I mean, let's face it, we can all improve very much in this aspect of our Christian lives. You know, I found that praying with or even listening to other believers' prayers, especially those who have a more mature faith in Christ, they've been a great way for me to learn and grow in my own prayer life. And I'm sure many of you could agree with that. You know, example is such a great teacher, isn't it? In our passage this morning, we have the apostle, or we have the example, I should say, of the apostle Paul to learn from. Here in this latter half of Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, which we've just read through, we we find one of of Paul's many prayers of intercession in the New Testament. Now, on this occasion, it's it's given on behalf of the Christians in the city of Ephesus. 
And as we read through it and as we explore it further this morning, my prayer is that it might not only be an encouragement to all of us, but we also might learn some really important things for us us to be praying for, both for other believers but also for ourselves. Now, Paul's prayer begins with thanksgiving. We see that in verses 15 and 16 where he says, For this reason, because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Paul bases his thanksgiving for the Ephesian believers on two things, namely their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and their love towards the brothers and sisters in Christ, or to, as Paul says here, the saints. Of course, these are in fact the practical outworking, if you like, of the great theological truths that Paul has already spoken of back in the first half of the chapter in verses 3 to 14. That's why he begins this section with the words, for this reason, or in view of what he's just said. You know, he's saying that, that God not only chose his people, he predestined them for adoption as his children, he redeemed them and he sealed them by his spirit in order that they would be his people. People characterized by faith in God, in faith in Jesus Christ, and also for the practical outworking of this faith displayed in love for one another. In this we see these believers living out the command of Jesus. In John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Again, in 1 John 4, verses 20 to 21, the Apostle John writes these words and says, If if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has, has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that is Jesus, whoever loves God must also love his brother. See, folks, the real evidence of God's redeeming work in us, God's salvation work in us, is seen not only in our love for him, in that vertical kind of relationship, but also is demonstrated in our practical love for for God's people, that that horizontal working out of, of our faith. Well, having given thanks to God for the Ephesian believers, then Paul then moves on to some specific things that he asks God to do in their lives. And the first thing is that these believers will develop an even deeper knowledge of God. We see that in verse 17. He says, that the, he prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, this kind of knowledge speaks not only of of, of an understanding of facts, if you like, but it's also speaking of an experiential knowledge. Now, one of the things I can say is that that, that I know Prime Minister Scott Morrison. 
In other words, I can say, you know, I, I know stuff about the man. I know that he's a, a member of the Liberal National Party. I know that he's the Prime Minister of our country. I know that he's a Christian. I know that he's a shark supporter. And I know that he has a wife and two daughters. I know stuff about Scott Morrison. So in that way, I can say that I know Scott Morrison. When someone puts a, a picture of him up on a screen, I can immediately say, yes, that's Scott Morrison. However, I don't really know the man from a relational aspect. I haven't spoken with him. I've not hung out with him. I've not been able to sort of spend that quality kind of one-on-one time getting to truly know him. You know, many people today say that they can call themselves Christians merely because they know Jesus Christ or they know stuff about him. But sadly... That's the, you know, Jesus says you know, that, that, that even though some may say they know him, in Matthew 7, 21 to 23, Jesus says to those who even call Jesus Lord, Lord, he says to them, you know, when, the, uh, when they appear before him right there at the end of time, at the judgment, Jesus says, I'll go, I'll get out of my presence, for I never knew you. Not only do we know, need to know Jesus, but Jesus needs to know us. The kind of knowledge that Paul is referring to here is describing, if you like, a really deep intimacy in a relationship. And that deep intimacy can only come about when the lives of those two people become intertwined. This kind of love that we're speaking about here, this kind of knowledge we're speaking about, is spoken of in terms of the marriage relationship between a man and a woman and the intimacy in that kind of relationship. And so my question this morning to us, you know, as we, you know, as we look at this knowledge of Jesus, we need to ask ourselves, do we really know Jesus? Do we truly know him? Not just facts about him, not just things about Jesus, but do we truly know him? Can we honestly say that we have a real intimate relationship with him? Perhaps if you already have, uh, know Jesus and you have that relationship with him, can I ask you today, you know, have you been growing in that relationship with Christ? You know, can you look at perhaps some tangible uh, things in your life that points to the fact that you have grown deeper in your relationship with him, perhaps in, even in these past months? John Stott, the, uh, the um, well-known uh, English uh, pastor and, uh, and theologian, says... You know, growth in knowledge is indispensable to growth in holiness. Folks, if we want to grow in our faith, if we want to grow in holiness, if we want to grow deeper and more mature in our walks with Christ, then knowledge of him is really important. That intimate knowledge, that walking life's journey with Christ is so important for us. Paul's prayer then is that these believers would come to know God and his son Jesus Christ in a much richer and deeper way in both not only understanding that knowledge of, but, an, but through experience as well. Now, as I mentioned last week, you know, culture today is so focused on self-knowledge and awareness. The 19th century theologian and pastor Henry Alford states, you know, philosophy comes to man with the message, know thyself. But the gospel meets him with a far more glorious and fruitful watchword, know thy God. Know thy God. 
course, this kind of knowledge, though, can only come as a result of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, the one who is able to reveal the spirit, these spiritual truths to our hearts. Paul refers to him here as the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in verse 17. And Paul prays that the Holy Spirit would indeed impart to the believers the ability to know God according to his truth, according to his revealed truth. Of course, we, we discover that, we find that, not in any outside kind of uh, um, mystical kind of ways, but in God's word. That is how we truly know God. That is how God has revealed himself to us through his word and through his son, Jesus Christ. And the spirit produces the capacity within us in order to be able to understand the, the word of God and apply it to our lives. John 16 verses 13 to 14 tells us, when the spirit of truth comes, speaking of the Holy Spirit, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Here we see the Spirit's work is indeed to take the very things of God and apply them and reveal them to us, illumining our hearts to help us to not only know God, but to walk in his ways as well. Of course, not only do we need to know God, but we also need to know and grasp in a deeper way, if you like, the spiritual truths of what God has done for us in Christ. And Paul goes on to say here that he asked God through his Holy Spirit to enlighten the hearts of the believers. Verse 18, he says, I pray that the God of, of, our, uh, of the, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and your knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know certain things. And Paul will go on to explain these in a minute. Now, when we think of our hearts, we often think of that organ that beats in our chest. But the, the, this is not what Paul is referring to here. When it comes to, to a biblical understanding of the heart, what we're referring to is, is that which is the true center of our being. It is the very seed, if you like, of, of our thoughts, of our moral judgment, and of our will. The heart really drives all that we do, all that we say, and all that we think. Therefore, it's vital that we see clearly to know what is right and good and just and true according to God. We need to see clearly. Folks, seeing things clearly from a spiritual perspective helps us to function properly in respect to our faith. And in this prayer, Paul is going to highlight three things, three key areas that we need to know in order to see clearly in this way. And the first is this, the hope to which he has called you. He says, I pray that, that the God of, uh, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ will indeed open the eyes of your, or will enlighten the eyes of your heart that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you the hope to which he has called you. You know, this hope, if you like, is the, the certainty of our standing with Christ 
and the glorious future that is ours in him. So, folks, the Christian hope is not some kind of wishful thinking, but it is this confident assurances in the promises and in the character of God. John Stott again points out that our hope is founded in the past. We see that in in Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 14, which we looked at last week. All that God has done in the past, that's where our hope is founded on. That is the foundations of our hope in Christ, all that God has already done. But not only is it founded in the past, but it is also focused on the future. In Ephesians 1, verse 14, it speaks of the inheritance which we will acquire you know, when, we, when we finally are with Christ there in glory. 1 Peter 1, verses 3 to 5, highlights this very much when he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Paul says that our hope is founded in the past on the things that God has already done. It is focused on the future, what is to come, what is our hope and our inheritance in Christ. But it also gives us comfort and confidence in the present circumstances in which we find ourselves in. The Bible speaks of a blessed hope or our blessed hope in Titus 2 verse 13, which points to the future return of Christ and the fulfillment of our salvation in him, that that, uh, word glorification is what is is what we're speaking of here. And in First John chapter three and verse two, we find the the apostle writing about that, where he says, "Beloved, we are God's children now. We are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He, that is Christ, does appear." We shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Folks, we are God's children now. That is our confident hope even in this day-to-day life. You know, we're all the, through all of the, the ups and the downs that we go through, we have this wonderful confidence of knowing that we are indeed God's children now. But what we will be, the fullness of what we will be has not yet appeared But one day it will when we see Christ face to face. And folks, this hope is our anchor in all of life. And this hope prevents us from being swept away in in fear and in doubt and in disillusionment that comes as a result of of all the storms and the trials of life that batter us. You know, regardless of the, the type and the severity of the trials that we face, we know that they will not have the final say according to God because they, these things cannot deny our glorious future in Christ but also that present grace in which we currently stand with Christ, knowing that he is with us. Romans 8 verses 35 to 39, which I know is a 
very familiar passage to, to all of us. You know, Paul writes about this fact that, you know, that, that these trials will not have the final say for us when he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, and we can add even there probably, or coronavirus or racial tensions or whatever else that's going on in our world, can any of these things separate us from the love of Christ? Well, of course, the answer is no. Paul goes on in verse 37 to say, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him, through Christ who loved us. For I am sure, Paul says, or I am persuaded that neither death nor life, neither angels nor rulers, nor things present or things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And there should be a ringing amen that comes from our TV screens this morning as we reflect on those beautiful words of Christ through the Apostle Paul. Folks, this is the hope to which we have been called in Christ. Paul goes on to say, not only do we need to know the hope to which we have been called, but also we need to know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Verse 18 again. You know, there are a couple of ways that this verse has been interpreted over the years. The first is in line with what we've just been speaking about in that, you know, it's speaking about our future inheritance in heaven with Jesus. That is our riches, the riches and the glorious inheritance in the saints. Of course, it is indeed a very rich inheritance, isn't it? There's nothing more wonderful than knowing that we are heirs with Christ of all his eternal blessings in his coming kingdom, inheritors of all the glories of heaven. However, there's another way to understand what Paul is saying here, and I think this is a, a, a tremendous and, and an awe-inspiring way. Now, back in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, that is the people of God, were spoken of as being God's inheritance. Deuteronomy 32, verses 8 to 9 says... When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob, his allotted heritage. Did you get that? But the Lord's portion is his people. Therefore, some understand this path, these words here in, in Ephesians 1 that Paul says that the Lord's portion, Paul is saying to be that we ourselves are God's inheritance. That we are actually his rich and glorious inheritance, the saints. And when we, when we understand it in this way, we then start to see uh, in, in a new light the preciousness and the value that God places on us as his children, to know that we ourselves, folks, you this morning, as a follower and believer of Jesus, that you, God, sees as his treasured possession and his inheritance. How amazing is that, to know that this is how God sees us, as his treasured inheritance. 
The third thing that Paul reminds us of that we need to know is that we need to know the immeasurable greatness of God's power towards us who believe. The power that Paul speaks of here is the same power that God demonstrated in raising Christ from the dead and in seating him in the heavenly places and placing all things under his feet. In other words, giving him that supreme position of power and authority and rule over all things. That's what verses 20 to 23 of this passage focus in on today. Paul wants the believer to realise the incredible power of God that is available to us as his children. That same power that is there to help us in our day-to-day living out of our faith. That same power, God says, is the same power that raised Christ from the dead and gave him that position of authority over all. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon, speaking of this power, says, the very same power that raised Christ from the grave is waiting to raise the drunkard from his drunkenness, to raise the thief from his dishonesty, to raise the Pharisee from his self-righteousness and to raise the Sadducee from his unbelief. Folks, the power of God is available to you and to me today. The same power. And this power is accessed by faith and through prayer as we rely on the Spirit of God to manifest it in our lives. It's interesting that we need to notice here that Paul is not praying that this spiritual power will will be made available to believers, but that they would be given a divine awareness of the power that is already available to them, which they already possess in Christ and which is exercised through God's abiding Holy Spirit within us. And so if we are lacking spiritual power in our lives, it is not because God has withheld it from us. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-4 to 4 reminds us about this when the Apostle Peter writes, His divine power, God's power, has given us everything required for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. By these He has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. And one of the highlights of our trip to the US last year was going to a place called uh, Hearst Castle. It's out in the middle of nowhere, uh, you know, somewhere be- halfway between uh, um, San Francisco and Los Angeles. It's an incredible uh, um, uh, building, or actually it's, it's, a, it's a whole estate. It takes up around about 250,000 acres or something along those lines. It was built by a guy called William Randolph Hearst, an extremely wealthy businessman and politician who who made his fortune in the newspaper and magazine business uh, back in the the late 1800s and the early 1900s. And he began building this castle back in 1919. And it eventually would house some of Hearst's vast collection of of, uh, architecture, art, antiques and historical artefacts. 
As you walk around the estate, you just see you know, statue after statue and artifact after artifact and, 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 and architecture that has been brought from all corners of the, of the world back in, back in that day. The well-known art and antiquities dealer of the time, a guy called Joseph Devine, called Hearst the great accumulator because of his insatiable appetite to collect these things on an epic scale. And see, in Hearst's mind, he wanted the castle to be a museum of all the, be- the very best things that he could re- acquire uh, from around the world in terms of all these, uh, these antiquities and artefacts. A Bible commentator, Warren Wiersbe, tells of, of one particular time when, when Hearst came across a description of, of some of these, some, some particularly valuable items which kind of caught his eye and, and he thought, I, I must have those things for myself. And so he sent his agent on this overseas trip to, 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 track, these, to track these things down and to, uh, to purchase them and to bring them back to, to Hearst. And the agent went and he was gone for months and months on this, on this search for this, these particularly valuable items. And he came back uh, you know, several months later and reported to Hearst that, uh, that he had searched high and low for these things and could not find them anywhere in the world until he, fi- he finally realised or discovered that Hearst himself actually owned these items and they were stored in one of his warehouses, his many warehouses, on the, on the uh, east coast uh, of, uh, of America in New York. See, Hearst was completely unaware of the fact that these valuable treasures were already his. Christian, we're not meant to be like William Randolph Hearst. Instead, we're to know and remember all that God has already secured for us in Christ. This is what Paul is, is saying here, what, and Paul is praying here because you know, he's, he's saying, folks, when it comes to living our Christian lives, this stuff is vital. It is so essential that we know these things if we're to grow and mature and stand strong in our faith in Jesus Christ. We're to know, you know what our wonderful hope in Christ is, what it is founded on, what it is looking forward to, and to find comfort and peace and assurance in our day-to-day lives because of that. We're also to know the position which we have in Christ, to know that we are indeed God's treasured possession, His glorious inheritance. And finally, we are to know the power of Christ available already to us, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, that same power God wants to make manifest or make known and he wants to see it demonstrated in our lives through his indwelling spirit, to see our lives radically transformed and changed, not through our own efforts and through our own strength, but through this power of God at work in us so that he alone gets the glory. Folks, we need to pray that God's spirit will make these things known to us more and more every day. And as he does, I believe that we will see an even greater spiritual transformation occur in our lives. 
we will see more and more a growing of mature, spiritual maturity in our faith. We will see that even though you know, some of the, the most difficult and some of the most challenging storms of life will batter us and, and hammer us, sometimes from all sides, that in the midst of that we will stand strong and firm and confident in Christ and that will itself be an amazing testimony to those around us of the reality of God and of his goodness to us. Folks, Paul writes in another letter in Corinthians that, you know, we are letters to the world. We are letters to the world that, 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 that actually um, um, tell of Christ and of his goodness, tell of Christ and his power, that tell of Christ and his mercy, that tell of Christ and his reality. Folks, as we live our lives from day to day, we are not only letters, but we are trophies of God's grace, pointing people to him. Folks, that is the reason why God has us on the face of this earth right now. That we might be these, his people, people of faith and of love, but people of a confident hope, people who have got this glorious understanding of what our inheritance is, and also people who know the immeasurable power of God at work in our lives. I pray that these will, things will continue to be an even deeper reality to us all. And so if we're going to see that, folks, we need to be praying this kind of prayer for ourselves and for one another. And I encourage you to do that this week. Will you commit this week to be praying this prayer, not only for yourselves, but for us as a church, for, for believers all around the world? Will you commit this week to praying this prayer each morning? And I guarantee that as we do this, we will see God work in amazing and glorious ways. So let's do that now, shall we? Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we want to thank you first and foremost for the salvation that you have secured for us in Jesus Christ. That as Paul has already mentioned in this chapter, that Lord, that you chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before you. We know, Lord, that in love you predestined us as adoption as sons, your children, through Jesus Christ. And this was all according to the purpose of your will, and for the praise of your glorious grace. Father, we thank you that in Christ we have had our sins paid for, that we have been redeemed, that our sins have been forgiven and all wiped away. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have uh, indeed secured for us a glorious inheritance. That, that, and, and not only secured that for us, but that you have sealed us with your Holy Spirit, that, who is a deposit guaranteeing us of that inheritance in heaven. And so in light of this, in light of all you've done, we pray, Father God, that you might indeed, by your, your Holy Spirit, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that you might help us to know you more day by day, that we might know you, not just, from about, not just facts about you, Lord, but that we will truly know you in our experience. And that, Father, that you might indeed enlighten the eyes of our hearts, that we might know what is the hope to which we have been called, 
What is the riches of our inglorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of your power towards us who believe? Father, we pray this for your honour and glory. Amen. Thanks for listening to this audio from North Pine Baptist Church. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au.